This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by HostGator.com. Do you need to launch your own website? If you're looking for one of the easiest ways to register, host, and build your site, you should check out HostGator.com. They have tools to help you get started immediately, whether you're transferring a domain or building your site from scratch. So, you know, all you fans who want to open up, here's a look at my robotguts.com or drcorbyforever.net or kenissecretlyarobot.org. You can just head over to HostGator.com and have that up before we're done with today's episode. Speaking of DrCorbyForever.net, a .net address is the best way to get a good domain name these days. Grab your .net today. It gets better, though. HostGator has 24-7 tech support on the phone, live chat, or email, and you can choose from shared or dedicated servers. All that plus packages that include unlimited storage and unlimited bandwidth. Order now with the coupon code MISSIONLOG, and you'll get 30% off at HostGator.com. Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 66, Wink of an Eye. Welcome to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. What's the show next week, John? Ken, we we haven't actually done this week's episode yet. We're doing Wink of an Eye. Dude, I just did this week's episode. Were you not? Oh, I'm sorry. I was I was going a little fast for you, wasn't I? Yeah, we, we have to do the show in real time. Our, right. our listeners have to understand the show in real time. And uh, we cannot do an accelerated. I guess if we slowed it down, then maybe they'd be able to hear the show. I do think, though, if we could get people to listen in Scalosian time, they would yeah. find it accelerating. Oh, I see what you did there. Well played, Ken. <laughs> yeah, really. It's well just... played. I guess we should actually tell people in real time what it is we do, shouldn't we? Um, we sure. Every week, uh, we watch an episode of Star Trek, and we watch it again, and then you know we might even watch it again. And then we try to adopt everything that they do in that episode and live our lives that way, which is why I'm actually like, I've, I've already done everything I have to do between now and 60. Wow. Yeah, I know. Oh, that's incredible. Wait, does that mean that we're done with Mission Log then? I, you know, twice now I've been done with Mission Log <laughs> right. actually. But for you, I'll go back and do the whole thing. It's not the Scalosian way, but, uh, uh, you know, it takes a little uh, bit longer. Unlike, as you discussed in this episode, um, Wink of an Eye, uh, as you mentioned, I believe, is the yes. episode that we're, uh, that we're doing this week. Yeah. Well, for those of us who can only process the show in real time, uh, remember you can also contact us in real time on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. The handle Mission Log Pod. You can call us at three two three five two two five six four one. You can email us missionlog at roddenberry dot com. We also have a beautiful site on the internet www.missionlogpodcast.com. dot dot com. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Now, somehow, because I was going so fast, yeah, I've actually already heard the trivia that you haven't done yet. Oh, okay. I'm okay. not sure how that works exactly, but for people who, who were not, you know, living at my speed, right. uh, why don't you uh, lay out the trivia for people again, and I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> Okay, I'd be glad to. So, Ken, this <laughs> that was a great nap. Oh man, I am so re- 
Uh, oh, I did it again. I did it again. I'm sorry. You're going to have to listen to trivia in real time. I'm sorry. (laughs) Go ahead. I'm sorry. (laughs) So this week's episode, Wink of an Eye, written by our old friend Lee Cronin, a.k.a. Gene Kuhn, going under the pen name Lee Cronin for this one. Um, Now, it's worth pointing out that Kuhn worked on the show Wild Wild West before Star Trek. And interestingly enough, there's an episode of that show in which the bad guy speeds himself up in order to commit crimes. So a little bit of cross-pollination of the ideas there. Um, This is an older idea, though there's actually a 1901 H.G. Wells short story called The New Accelerator, in which an elixir makes the characters speed up to the point where everyone else around them appears immobilized. Uh, They can perceive moments of incredible speed very easily. They, They describe like the cracking of a whip that they can see just kind of in slow motion. Um, Now, it wasn't until 2001, so 100 years later, that that was turned into an episode of the Hallmark Channel's Infinite Worlds of H.G. Wells. Uh, The script for this show, for Wink of an Eye, was written by Arthur Heinemann, who has a couple more upcoming TOS credits we will get to in a few weeks. Um, He actually got his start as an animator and then started writing in the 1950s. now, Ken, you and I uh, have mostly been re- watching the remastered versions of Star Trek, but we kind of flip back and forth. You know, I, I've got both available to me, and I know that our listeners, some are watching the remasters, some are watching the original, and sure, you can debate like crazy which one you like better or worse. Um, but there's something that I wanted to point out very specifically about uh, the remastered version of this one because I think it's just very cool. Um, the Scalosian city where the landing party first beams down was originally the same matte painting used in A Taste of Armageddon. They gave it a little bit of a blue cast, but you can tell that it's the Iminiar city from that episode. So now it's replaced with a brand new city. Um, and they did a, a really good job. They basically had to go in and rotoscope that whole scene where you uh, see the city behind Kirk and Compton. So I thought it was really, really neat. And you can faintly make out that there is a version of Habitat 67 in there. So you have this alien city and kind of right in the foreground, you have their version of Habitat 67. Now, that was an experimental housing complex designed for the 1967 World's Fair in Montreal. Uh, It's still there. And I'm kind of an architecture buff. So um, as you would well assume, I'm kind of fascinated by the intentions of that building being a high-density urban space. It still allows some bit of individual room. You know, it's an apartment complex, but you've got uh, every, every unit has to have its own entryway to the outside. It has to have its own garden area. It's just very forward-thinking architecture. So I like that there's a, a nod to it in the uh, special effects here. Um, Dila, the co-star of the show, the guest star here, is played by Kathy Brown. Uh, she made a lot of TV appearances before retiring in 1980. Um, I kind of I, I wanted to point out here that she is a little older than most Star Trek female guest stars. She was 38 at the time. We've seen a lot of women guest starring on uh, the show as Kirk's love interest, who were like 
25, <laughs> 26. Um, she is best known for uh, having a recurring role on Bonanza. Um, and she married actor Darren McGavin in 1969, and they stayed married until she passed away. Does the name Darren McGavin sound familiar to you, Ken? He was... Um well, he was the dad in A Christmas Story, and he was also yes. uh, he was in uh, Hangar Eighteen, right? I believe, yes. and he uh, was a foil for um, for uh, Fox Mulder on the X Files. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, terrific character actor, and uh, but I think we all best know him as the old man in A Christmas Story. Um, Rael in this episode is played by TV and B-movie actor Jason Evers or Jason Evers um, and by the way uh, we don't want to confuse the name Rael with the modern day alien cult Rael or the Raelians have you heard of them? I'm not making this up Ken I, I believe they actually played the Bumpuses in the Christmas story. <laughs> you, you were so close. You were so close. Uh, the the Raelians are uh, a UFO cult which uh, started in in the early to mid seventies uh, when Rail, the now self named and uh, self appointed interpreter of alien knowledge, uh, Rail had an alien visitation in uh, nineteen seventy three. So. Uh, yeah, if you want to join an alien cult, then uh, that may be the one for you. One wonders where the Skolosian society is in terms of evolution right now. I like to think that, as you are listening to this, their forebears are crawling from the primordial ooze. Arriving at a beautiful but deserted downtown planet Skalos, a landing party from the Enterprise finds the place completely empty except for a mosquito or something buzzing in Kirk's ear. Doesn't make any sense. They got a distress call, but there's no one here. Then one of the party wearing a red shirt, uh, we'll give him the honor of a name this time, Compton, just disappears without a trace. I mean, literally disappears, just vanishes before McCoy's eyes right after taking a water sample from a fountain. Act one. On board the Enterprise, things aren't quite working right. Systems are suddenly functioning and then not functioning. Kirk rewatches the distress call from Scalos again. It was pre-recorded, obviously, but there's no clue what happened. In sickbay, things are weird. Chapel reports that all the cabinets have been opened and all the instruments have been examined. Kirk is in for a physical, but that darn buzzing fly is bothering him again. He's starting to think he might be imagining it, but McCoy says he's okay. Now, the only logical answer is that there must be an intruder. Systems are still haywire, and Spock reports that the environmental controls are being messed with. Both of them rush off to life support to find a force field. Once they get in, they find an air conditioner. Well, it's a piece of alien equipment, according to Spock. They can't get near it, and Kirk orders that they fire upon it. Suddenly, their phasers leap out of their hands, and Kirk and Spock find themselves getting punched and pushed back by an invisible force. Then there's that fly or whatever buzzing around in Kirk's ear. You'd think Starfleet would have put bug zappers on all their ships by now. Back on the bridge, Kirk and Spock consult the ship's computer, which is really not much help. There are a lot of unknown variables, but what we do know is that there's an alien force on board trying to take over the ship. Well, at least we have that to go on. 
Now, because there's no Starbucks on the Enterprise, the yeoman wanders the bridge with coffee for everyone. That buzzing starts again, but Kirk has a sip, and in very short order, everything around him starts slowing down really slow, like everyone is immobile. Then out of nowhere, a gorgeous woman appears on the bridge. All right. She even goes in for a kiss right away. Hey, this should make Kirk's day. Oh, but she introduces herself as Dila, the enemy. Oh, no. Act two. Before Kirk can flip to page 42 of the Starfleet Manual of Seducing Gorgeous Invading Aliens, Dila explains what's going on. The crew is fine. They're just all running at their normal pace, but Kirk has now been accelerated to match the speed at which the Skolosians exist. Dila goes in for another kiss. Hey, looks like everything on Skalos is sped up. So Dila is the queen, and she has chosen Kirk as her king. The rest of the Skolosians are on board, and they are converting the Enterprise for their needs. Kirk tries to stun Dila with his phaser, but even the beam from his weapon is too slow now. No pun intended. Dila shows that she has a weapon of her own strapped to her wrist. Kirk tries to negotiate for his ship, but Dila's playing it a little coy, like, Oh, come on. You'll like it. We cut back to the perspective of the crew. Kirk has simply disappeared. Kirk has run off to the environmental controls to see what he can do. And who is guarding the door but our old friend Compton the Red Shirt? Compton seems pretty well swayed over to the Skolosian point of view. Kirk takes it all in stride until he kicks the crap out of Compton. He rushes into the room where a couple of the Skolosians are armed and waiting to stun the captain. Compton must have had some sense knocked into him by Kirk because he too rushes in during the fracas. Compton must not have passed the hand-to-hand section at the academy because the Skolosians knock him to the ground pretty easily. By the way, he has a little scratch on his neck. Okay, up on the bridge, Spock is really getting into the coffee. He's not just deciding if he likes Yirgacheff better than Pakamara. He's actually pretty sure that the captain's coffee was tainted with something that led to his disappearance. We'll need to get this to a barista right away. Dila stops by to see Kirk, and she's really got a thing for him. Her subordinates try to steer her away, but she's kind of smitten with this inferior man. When he wakes up, they show off the changes they've made to the Enterprise environmental controls. Kirk tries but fails to do anything with it since the unit is rigged. He notices Compton now looking like a very old corpse. The damage inflicted on him was magnified by the acceleration. Too bad. This can happen to Kirk, too, if he's not careful. Kirk has run to the medical lab where he very cleverly is leaving a message in the computer for Spock about this situation. Hopefully Spock will find it before it's too late. Dila catches him in the act, but she's pretty confident this won't have any effect on their plans. The Skolosians are using their environmental hookup to deep freeze the Enterprise, but Dila is sure Spock will never get the message in time. Act 3. Dila is good at many things one of the being exposition. She tells Kirk that the Skolosians used to be more like Earthlings, living in a normal time frame, but a combination of disasters led her people to live at an accelerated rate. They can't reproduce, which means they have been in the habit of kidnapping others to help propagate their species. They'll be storing the Enterprise crew in suspended animation until they're needed. Kirk offers to help in some other way, but she says no. 
Delia gets a call from her second-in-command, Rael, down on life support. He's ready for them to beam down to the planet and activate the deep freeze. Kirk slips away, leaving his message in the computer for Spock. He's also clever enough that he beats Dila to the transporter room and disables the controls. He can't beam down, and this throws a wrench into their plans. Kirk's a pretty good liar, and Dila asks Rael to look into all possibilities for the delay. Meanwhile, in regular time, McCoy has determined that the water is to blame, and Kirk's coffee had been spiked. Spock notices the buzzing in his pointed ears, and now he's got a theory. Dila and Kirk are killing time in Kirk's quarters while the transporter issue is being fixed. Dila fixes her hair, and Kirk goes in for a kiss. Oh, but he also tries to pry her away from the weapon on her wrist. She threatens him a little, but she's still buttering him up. Or is it him buttering her up? On the bridge, Spock plays back the Scalosian distress call and somehow manages to watch the prologue from the episode. He speeds up the tape and realizes that the buzzing sound is exactly what the Scalosians sound like when sped up. At the same time, McCoy has discovered the tape that Kirk left behind, and now everyone on the bridge is in on the Scalosian plan. Rael has finished repairs on the transporter and tries to radio Dila. She's just not answering, and he sets off to find her. Cut to interior Kirk's quarters. Kirk is sitting on the edge of his bed, pulling on his boots because, um, because he just finished polishing his boots. Dila is looking in the mirror, fixing her tousled hair because um, she really likes fixing her hair. <clears throat> When Rael enters, he's not happy at all. He attempts to beat up Kirk, which we know would be deadly, and he has him cornered. Act 4. Dila uses her weapon on Rael. Now, boys, stop fighting. She admonishes Rael for his violent outburst. She also puts him in his place about his jealousy and reiterates that she has chosen Kirk for his necessary purpose. The transporter isn't quite ready, and she sends him away. Kirk is now acting like a man who got a face full of spores on Omicron SETI 3. He's pretty happy with the current situation and is ready to beam down to the planet with Dila. The rest of the crew, meh, they'll be okay. Back to real time, McCoy has come up with an antidote, but Spock takes a swig of Scalosian water to speed himself up and take it to Kirk. Kirk and Dila are in the transporter room, and all the other Scalosians except for Rael have left by now, and the very docile Kirk breaks the ruse. He reaches for her weapon and runs off to life support to stop Rael, who should show up at a sped-up Spock. He and Kirk disable the Scalosian machine along with Rael. When Dila sees what has happened, she assumes the worst. Kirk has the upper hand, but he assumes that they would do the same thing again and the Federation would quarantine the area. Then the Scalosians will surely die. In the transporter room, Kirk is ready to send off Dila, she warns that Kirk and Spock will never get back to their normal speed as she and Rael are beamed back to their planet. Spock gives Kirk the untested antidote, and he drinks it, returning to normal time. Spock stays a little longer, though, and in his accelerated state, he makes a bunch of repairs of the Enterprise. He flashes into normal time on the bridge as it is time to pull away from Skalos. Uhura accidentally plays back the tape of the Skalosians, but Kirk leaves it on long enough to express his goodbye to Dila. 
Do you know, I would say this is definitely an episode of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, how do you come to that conclusion? I, well, I carefully uh, test the scientific hypothesis. Well, you know, there is science stuff about it, but we're not going to bother with that. I'm just going to say, you know, if we're watching this episode of Star Trek, we would definitely say this is an episode of Star Trek. By any other name, this oh. would be an episode of Star Trek. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, I, I think I see what you did there. I actually did two things there. You, yeah. sort of, you sort of pushed me into one <laughs> when you say, did I test it scientifically? There's uh-huh. science involved, okay, John? Don't worry. Sure. The okay. point is we can just sit and watch it and see it and, you know, watch a really wonderful alien make out with Kirk for a while. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Sorry. Kind of a fan of hers. Yeah, well, me too. We'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. I think we should. Yeah. I think we should mm-hmm. spend quite a bit of time on that. <laughs> okay, we will. <laughs> sped, uh, sped up and slowed down. Let's spend some time on some other observations here. Um, Spock has a really dumb line at the end, but I I feel like the episode redeems itself a little bit because we get to send it off with a more melancholy moment. And you know me, I'm a fan of those ambiguous kind of melancholy moments, like the end of Charlie X or the end of uh, City on the Edge of Forever. Yeah. I'm sorry. You do this. You do this ending. Maybe a little too much honor by comparing it to those, though, I think. Well, I, I mean, yeah, it's, but, it's but, definitely a better ending than, than Spock's um, pun. Well, yeah, because all we had to do then was freeze frame, yep. and then <laughs> and we're out of there. You know, but at least, at least we undid that a little. Wow. You've got Joanne Worley saying, sock it to me at the end of his uh, pun. <laughs> <laughs> right. Da-da-da-da. Boom. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's interesting to me. Um, uh, there's a. I have a question because you've got yeah. a, you've got a plot hole coming up later in the show, and it's a pretty big one. But I think this one is bigger, so we just need to go ahead and dispense with it. Okay. Uh, they can't pick them up on sensors. They can't see them. They yeah. they they just hear a buzz, right? Right. How did they actually beam them up? Right. Right. Now, and, now, and when you think it's like a mosquito or something, then you say, "Oh, well, it could just you know could have landed on Kirk's collar or something like that." But I mean, these are full grown people; they're just living really fast. How did they end up being beamed up? Well, and we know that they got beamed up because they say, "Oh, that process is really slow." Took forever. Right? Yeah, it's at the speed of light. Right. And it's really slow. Um, yeah, and there would be well, you know. Here we go, jumping the timeline, talking about pattern buffers and transporter technology and blah, blah, blah. Right. You know, there are things like that accounted for when you get into later Star Trek, when you say, like, oh, the transporter knows if you picked up bacteria or a virus or blah, 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 and it can kind of screen that out. But here you've got whole people. You've got five Skolosians. Right. <laughs> you know? you got five Skolosians. You've got three people beaming up on the Enterprise. You've got six spots in the transporter. Yeah. Yeah. And they've got equipment with them. Well, equipment, I mean, hey, if you can figure out how to, you know, squeeze eight people into a six-person transport, then the equipment, I imagine, is not going to be that difficult. I'm still stuck on, yeah, I mean, if you can get the people up there, I'm fine with the equipment getting there. I'm not fine with the people getting there. Yeah. Big, big, big plot hole. I agree with that. through the end of this episode. Yes, sir. (laughs) Speaking of speeding to the end, I'm a little worried here because I think we end up how we ended up in other Star Trek episodes where we, we get there to the end and it's Kirk just basically asking the aliens who have a nefarious plan that propagates their species to please be good. Oh, I don't think so. No. 
No, I think I think what he told Dila is absolutely true. What she told him is absolutely true. They'll they'll be calling Starfleet and uh, coning off this planet. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> just like they did for uh, Talos Four. Yeah. You see how well that worked out because anybody who can steal a starship just goes straight to Talos Four. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, there have been other places where we've seen them do that too. We've talked about that before, where they're just like you know they come across some sort of alien contagion or something, and they're like, okay, well nobody go near that don't, planet don't go anymore. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that's what's going to happen. For thing is, you're only going to have to do it for what, like six weeks. They're, <laughs> they're all going to be gone. Right, there are only yeah. five of them left. They're not going to be able to... Oh, no, there, you see, there is going to be another... Well, we'll get to that. Okay. I, guess, I guess there's going to be a Kirklet. Yeah, right. uh, yeah, or there's yeah, a good yeah. chance there will be. So, I mean, good maybe chance. it yeah, may yeah. have to be maybe 12 weeks. Yeah. <laughs> this right. planet's off limits. And then they go back and live at the uh, 67 Expo. Right. Oh, that Which I know so would cool. make you happy. Yeah. I'd be very happy, yeah. Um, I, I love how the stress call and any playback is on film yeah so uh, that's kind of cool because that's something that now really has no analog and, and i mean that as a comparison not analog uh, uh, it's another pun yeah um uh, but i love that because okay if you and i are having a chat on video on a computer there's no there's no film loop <laughs> there's not even static you either lose the signal or you don't yeah what I don't uh, understand is how is it that a repeating message confounds them so? Yeah, right. But I'm standing right here where they're calling from. I mean, <laughs> we've <laughs> right. seen automated messages before in Star Trek. Yes. I mean, this has happened. Like, you know, they get someplace and like, whoa, this ship's been dead for a thousand years. It must have been an automated message. But this week, yeah. we've never heard of those. Right. So I did. No, seriously. Do you see me? Wait, I'm waving. Can you see oh, me right. now? No, I'm still <laughs> watching the message that I'm receiving. I mean, uh, I, I didn't really get yeah. that part. And fortunately, there was a camera crew capturing exactly what happened during the landing party at the beginning. <laughs> it made me not still. that back, yeah. Uh, Let's yeah. check the dailies. <laughs> That's pretty right. much it. Right? Exactly. That's like three cameras shot and everything. I mean, this, again, you mentioned the Zalosian, second mention right here. I mean, that's pretty yeah. much what it was, right? Right. We don't have right. recordings of everything. Oh, well, but the Telosians can do that. Oh, and we can too, I guess. We just, we just don't like to uh, sometimes. Yeah. Hey, uh, did Kirk say sabotage or sabotage? I don't know. I think it, it sounded a little – she says sabotage, and then he says something that's a little bit different. There was something they, else he said too that I was like, that's, that's a weird pronunciation for that. But, you know, he is Canadian. Well, not Kirk, yeah. but – yeah, they, they just have a different word for everything. <laughs> a different word for everything. Some of them are even like French. It's crazy. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Hey, uh, did you notice that sound effect in the background whenever they are in accelerated space? No. I, well, noticed, I noticed the buzzing, of course, when, you know, in normal space, when one of those things is supposed right. to be going by. One of those things turning out to be people, of course. Uh, right, right. In one of the many times I watched this episode, I watched it with uh, headphones on mm -hmm. in my computer. And, it, you know, it's really nice to be able to pick up just everything that's happening in the soundtrack. And there's a great effect that they use that it, it sort of sounds like, I, you know, in, in its simplest term, maybe like an air conditioner that's been slowed down. Mm -hmm. So there is there is a soundscape to the world that they're in when they're in accelerated space. I thought it was really cool. And it was a nice little subtle thing to differentiate 
uh, real time from their time. And uh, there's another pretty cool, very subtle effect uh, when they show the Scalosian environmental control unit. Um, so all those the, the tiny little details I, I picked up when watching it, the, you know, fourth or fifth time or whatever, but really, really cool. So if you haven't noticed that, put on your headphones when we're done here and just listen to any of those scenes and, and you'll notice that the environment changes. It's kind of cool. Hmm. Uh, how did you like the bit with uh, Compton saying that he's also met a girl, <laughs> you know? So I, I had to then think about if this is part of the Scalosian evolutionary advantage. They're all mostly very good looking people. The the men need a little help with their fashion. Yeah. Uh, you can tell that the Scalosians have evolved into just being very good looking. And I, I wonder if this is something that has happened over the generations with their disadvantage uh, of the radiation and, and everything that has made them accelerated. Or is this just something they had before anyway? But that, that seems to be a power that they have. You know, that's an interesting question, because when um, when Dila is describing it to Kirk, you kind of get the impression that she's saying that, you know, living this sped up life is what they sort of adjust to. But you're right. It could totally just be, you know, falling under the uh, falling under the influence of the thrall of the uh, of the women. Mm hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> He's so earnest about it, though. <laughs> right. Yeah, very much I'm, so. I met a girl. Oh, okay, really? And that's it? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, right. I met right. a girl. Okay, and then what happened? Well, then I told her how to take over the Enterprise. <laughs> well, and then well, you're going to get kicked in the face. Thanks for that. Yeah. Jerk. Yeah. <laughs> I meet a girl every week, says Kirk. I don't tell any of them how to take over the Enterprise. God. <laughs> he is just the worst character. I'm sorry, can we... He is just... You know what he made me... He made me... I felt bad for our man Darnell. Remember Darnell? From oh, uh, from uh, from from the Man Trap, Michael yeah, Zaslow, yeah. the Zaz, mm -hmm. like the first yeah. the first actor on which with which I really connected since yes, we started right. doing Mission Log, right? Yes, you did. Yeah, so they find Zaslow dead, right? Or they mm -hmm. find Darnell dead, and Bones is like, oh, he must have eaten something he found on the ground. He must have eaten the local <laughs> vegetation, and everybody's willing to accept that. And I really thought they had given him short shrift, just being willing to accept that, right? Yeah, yeah. And no, it turns out this is actually a thing that subordinates do because so so here's Compton. He has been told to to gather water samples apparently from this fountain, and he's counting them. He's being very he's being very like meticulous about it. He's got eight. He's got eight mm -hmm. samples. He's and then so he's got the samples which they're presumably going to study because you know something has killed close to nine hundred thousand people on this planet. <laughs> right, right, right. Could be the water. Yeah. Oh, do I have something on my lips? Here, let me wash my lips off with this water from this alien world. It, 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 he's relishing. It's like a guy who just ate a bucket of KFC. He's like licking his fingers. Like, oh, 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 that's Colossian water. It's so good. Oh, yeah. Brian Regan used to have this wonderful thing about people who, uh, people who at, at water fountains drinking like, you know, like, like, oh, man, I'm parched. Oh, I've been out in the desert all day eating rocks and sand. And it's right. sort of like, that's sort of like our man Compton there, <laughs> yeah. you know. Uh, careful, though, because I understand it's water, and maybe all day he's faced the barren waste without the taste of it. Yeah. Seriously, wait till you get back to the Enterprise, to the, to the water that you know. I, I, right. and, you know, I, I picture from now on, like Kirk with every away team or every landing party or whatever, saying, all right, we're getting ready to beam down. I can't believe I have to say this, but when we get down to the planet, don't put your lips on anything. 
No, 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 wait. I, I think it's the opposite. I, I, I think that uh, there's some bad training at Starfleet because if they accepted this about Darnell in the man trap and they fully <laughs> accept this about Compton, I think there's a professor at Starfleet is like, here's the button you push when you want to go fast in the ship. Here's how you fire a phaser. Here's how you, do, here's how you keep your uniform neat. And by the way, the galaxy is delicious, so eat up. <laughs> It's it's the lazy detective who will only investigate with his ears and his eyes and his right. nose. You really right. want to get the feel for a planet? You gotta taste it. Training our eyes on the Skolosians again, we find their society having advanced as far as covering their naughty bits out of a sense of shame and self-protection. They've also developed nervous laughter. Gosh, their society is moving fast. You have a problem with the way way this, (laughs) which I think we're going to get through, you know, in like the 13 to 17 years that we're doing this show. (laughs) Right. But with the way this show is laid out, you have a particular problem. I have a very big problem. Okay. I I think this is a huge, huge plot hole. I'm not understanding what your problem is. So please go ahead. so think of this. We we have an A plot and a B plot. And okay. let's say the A plot is Kirk doing all of his things in accelerated time. And then we have the B plot, which is everybody else in normal time. So Spock and McCoy trying to figure out what's happening. Scotty doing his thing. You know, all, all that other stuff. All right. Mm-hmm. But the effect of the acceleration is that Kirk and the Skolosians are moving so fast, doing everything that they're doing so fast, that they cannot even be seen by anybody else on the Enterprise who is operating in normal time. Mm -hmm. So by that logic, by the logic of the show, everything that Kirk does from first meeting Dila to going down through the environmental controls to killing Compton to having his rendezvous with Dila, to sabotaging the transporter, all of that stuff happens in less time than it would take for, say, Spock and McCoy to go down to sick bay to work on the computer to try to figure out what the problem is. Right. So all of that has to happen. And then, then you have the moment of Kirk leaving a message, which they have to find, decode, slow down, so what I'm saying is the plot hole here is that the the compression of time doesn't work. The Skolosians would have had time to finish their entire thing, defeat Kirk. I mean, even if they have to lock up Kirk 50 times because he keeps sabotaging or sabotaging their plans, they would have time to do that over and over and over and over again while Spock and McCoy are still stuck in the turbo lift trying to get down to the medical lab. That's the plot hole to me. Okay. I see what you're saying now. Well, it took me a minute. I mean, I I, I think you're trying really, I mean, you're, you're applying too much logic to something that's not very logical. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. But I mean, you're, (laughs) well, I mean, uh, okay, here's the thing. Not to be a jerk. It's just a show. Well, I mean, well, of course. Of I mean, course. I, I understand what you're saying, and if you're, you know, if we're trying to figure out how to build this society, <laughs> then, well, uh, then we but, may but have a problem. But I mean, but, but, some of it you got to let go. 
I know, but, but to me, that is the fun of this show. The fun of this show is that everything Kirk is doing is in this compressed time. Mm-hmm. Therefore, all the other crew members of the Enterprise are frozen like statues. And then at the very end, by the time they've figured out the problem, by the time Spock and McCoy have figured out the problem, gotten the message, discovered it was the water, figured out an antidote, done all of this stuff, then – Spock takes the Scalusian water and boom, he's locked up with Kirk at the end of Kirk's journey, ready to go confront rail and destroy the environmental uh, thing, you know? So, so all, all of that, it's a much more, um, it's a much more intriguing difference to me when you do things like, um, uh, well, here we go. Let, let's destroy the timeline. Uh, when you do things like Picard getting hit in the inner light and living out an entire life on another planet, but then when he wakes up, literally seconds have passed on the Enterprise bridge. Right. Or it's oh. like that thing like we talked about before on in the, in the movie Contact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Where it takes yeah. her maybe 10 seconds to drop from the top of the thing to the bottom of the thing, but she's been gone for 17 hours as far as she knows. I, I agree with you. I'm taking it much too seriously for this episode yeah. because I, there are many things that I like about this episode and there are many things to kind of be critical and, and fun have fun with with this episode. Yeah. But, but to me, like that is the intriguing part is messing with the timeline. So when you establish the rule – but then the rule just goes out the window. Well, I'm going to think about that. Well, the problem yeah. is you're treating this like an episode of 24, though. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. the 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 idea behind the TV series 24, for people who don't remember it or never saw it, was that everything that we're watching is actually happening in real time. So 24 episodes in a season of 24, and we watch, we're watching a whole day of that show. Mm-hmm. You're you're sort of treating what's happening on this show like an episode of 24. I mean, we don't know everything that's been going on with Kirk the whole time, unless you believe that we've just been following him around with like a hand cam the whole time. Right. Well, well, true, we, we, we have we no idea know. how long the uh, the rendezvous with Dila took. Hours. I'm saying hours. <laughs> um, but, but here's the thing. We do know that Scalosians move faster than the speed of light. Because the transporter is really, really slow. And when Kirk pulls out the phaser and tries to shoot Dila, she steps out of the way of a beam moving at the speed of light. Which, by the way, is hilarious to me because at some point then, Uhura is just going to go like, whoa, somebody just shot my <laughs> control panel with a phaser. Who, who has the phaser? Put down the phaser. Yeah, you know, I thought about that. Luckily, it was only on stun. Right. <laughs> and and I mean it would have only been it would have been like like the smallest possible blip of that that you would have been mm-hmm. able to imagine because again right. they were moving so fast. Right. It is kind of neat though. It's a little bullet time thing where she just like steps out of the way. Yeah. Very cute. She can we can we go ahead and jump to her? Let's do it. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. I she, I think she may actually be my favorite Kirk girl. Um, I think so far I have to agree with you and yeah. I agree with you for, for a lot of reasons. You, you go first. Um, well, I'm in love. I mean, there's nothing else to say. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know. Okay. I, I love the fact that she's ostensibly in control, although she's not, I, I can't tell if she actually is or if it's just something that she tells herself because she says she's their queen, but there are five of them. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and she's actually one of them. <laughs> so oh, right. really she's queen over four. Plus, she tells Rael what to do, and he's like, you know, 
he'll go along with it, but he really hates it. And he sort of seems to not like her very much half the time. And he'll just start fighting Kirk anyway, even though she told him not to. So I think queen may be sort of like an honorary term. That may be something <laughs> they let her go ahead and say, because, you know, face it, there are five of us. Right. <laughs> what are we going to do? Right. I love how playful she is with Kirk, though. Like, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, you're going to stun me. OK, you go ahead. I'll, I'll stand right. <laughs> I'll stand right here. You, you go ahead and, you know, try to try to get me. I like the fact that she's just very forthright with him. I mean, she's and and there's a there's a playfulness about her too. Like you know, the whole yeah. thing where she knows that Kirk has sabotaged the um or sabotaged sabotaged the, <laughs> the transporter, yeah. um, and she's just really cute about it. She's like, you know, if I didn't know better, and mm-hmm. you know, it's it's very there's just something just there's something that's very wonderful about her. There's no, there's no deceit. She's very wide eyed. She's very sweet about the whole thing. Well, except for the part where she's kissing him when, uh, you know, Uh, I mean, there's a lot to not like about her too, but it's also forgivable. And maybe it's the acting. I don't know what it is about her exactly, but I was, I was as smitten as Kirk was pretending to be when he was getting ready to steal whatever that weapon that she had was. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. It's, as far as Star Trek villains go, here we have another villain that isn't bad just for the sake of being bad. There's mm-hmm. a motivation here, which I thought was interesting to explore. And she has interesting powers to be able to do that. There's a, the seductive quality, obviously. Um, but she is smart. She's manipulative. <laughs> and, and she's looking out for her people. Um, uh, so I, I like her as a villain anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's very direct about her intentions and she just sort of exudes power. And it's one of these things that you have to wonder, is it the writing? Is it the directing? Is it the acting? Is it the perfect combination of all three? She's got rail on a short string. Yeah. And that is great to watch. Uh, the scene where rail comes in after the rendezvous and she puts him in his place. You have no right to question what I just did. Basically saying, like, look, your jealousy is not even a blip on my radar. Um, I thought that was fantastic. Well, except, of course, it actually is. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, in that way, she may actually be queen or she may actually be a captain. I mean, it actually does bother Mm -hmm. her that he is bothered. But Mm -hmm. she but she does she does the leader thing and says, you know, I'm I'm doing what I have to do. I am doing my duty. Now, she does also say, you know. I'm also going to enjoy it, but apparently they haven't always. I mean, what was it? What was the line? Allow me the dignity of enjoying the man I've chosen. Oh, that was great. Which actually, yeah. yeah, it's kind of an interesting, uh, it's kind of an interesting line. You see, it's yeah. so interesting to me though, that you have a problem. The timeline is what's bothering you about this episode, because really the way their society is set up or the way they're continuing uh-huh. their society does not work. I mean, it, just well, does, it doesn't work at all. because it's just humans that keep coming by and how often are they having to do that i mean correct me if i'm wrong but they would actually need to capture a spaceship like every four weeks right (laughs) right right in in our time and they would have lived generations at that point yeah yeah i'm not trying i'm I'm not trying to poke holes in the episode i think it's i think there's a lot of interesting stuff there sure um there is there is there is another serious problem with the way the enterprises run i think and this has to do with bones. Um, so Kirk's there, and he's hearing this buzzing, and then suddenly he's convinced that something is touching him, mm-hmm. but there is nothing there that anybody right. can pick up. And remember, the computer hasn't sussed out yet that they, you know, there's a there's an alien presence on board. 
They didn't know that anything beamed up with them. So all we've really got is Kirk being a little twitchy, right? Yeah, yeah. And so he says to McCoy, could I be hallucinating? And McCoy is <laughs> like, no, sir. You absolutely cannot be hallucinating. And I don't know right. if McCoy is saying that because medically he can't be hallucinating or because it would really screw with McCoy's head if the captain went crazy. Right. <laughs> <There are laughs> 400 some odd people answering to this guy. McCoy, is there something wrong with me? There is nothing wrong with you. No. There's nothing wrong with you. It struck me as kind of um, not very medicine-y mm-hmm, <laughs> on mm-hmm. McCoy's part uh, yeah. to to just not even accept the possibility that there might be something wrong. Now, of course, there wasn't something wrong, but uh, not physically wrong with Kirk at that point. But um, yeah, I was a little. I was a little. It's again, maybe it's that bendy nature of McCoy that we talked about a week or two ago. Yeah, it, it like, seems like the right answer would have been like, well, I hope you're not hallucinating, but maybe we should run some tests to make sure you're not. Tell you what, <laughs> you know? I'm going to tie you up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And we'll go from there. Sometimes yeah. it works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this episode, as you pointed out, has a very close parallel to By Any Other Name. Yes. Um, and in many, many ways, not not just sort of the idea of taking over the Enterprise and all that stuff, but they are undone. You know, the, the humans use human weakness like jealousy and greed and hubris in a way to defeat the aliens. You know, Kirk found another problem he could seduce his way out of as long as he um, – drives rail with some jealousy and he uh, uh, makes Dila believe that he's going to go along with her. These are all, you know, tricks that he has up his sleeve that he's done before in order to, uh, to get out of it. But we also have the, you know, the, the bigger plot parallel of the aliens just trying to survive, just, just trying to do the thing that they need to do. And the enterprise happens to be their method of doing it. It's interesting. I didn't actually see them using the jealousy this time. The only, I mean, there are similarities in that respect of, okay, Mm -hmm. well, you know, human, alien, hots for each other, and then we're good. But Mm -hmm. it was really only the, it was only the aliens stealing the ship and and taking what they needed were were the, were the things that ran parallel to me. I didn't, I didn't see the motivations, um, Mm -hmm. at least as far as, you know, Kirk playing the aliens off of each other, because I didn't really feel like he did. I, I didn't feel like he played off of anybody's weakness at all. Um, well, I don't, I, actually, I don't even feel like he seduced his way out of it. I mean, he, she had eyes for him immediately, sort of like the woman that was in love with Bones a couple of weeks ago. Just right, like, you know, right. wow, I'm into you. I'm so into you. I'm going to kiss you and you're not even going to know it. And then I'm actually going <laughs> to, and then I'm going to make you live in my time so you can know I'm kissing you. And then maybe we could, uh, you know, sneak off someplace and you could put your boots back on. Right, right, right. You know what that means? That means his boots were off. And you know what that means? He was shining his shoes. He was walking around without shoes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <pretty> <laughs> um, uh, but, but no, I, here's the thing. In, um, in By Any Other Name, he uses the jealousy very specifically to get under their skin. Right. In this episode, the seduction is not necessarily he's got to drag it out of her, but the seduction is, hey, I'm on your side now. I'm going to go along with you. Um, so I didn't necessarily mean that part of it in a sexual way because there's plenty of other sexual content in this. Um, and the the jealousy driving a wedge between 
him and Rael is a, enough of a distraction for Rael is a sort of a, a positive side effect as far as Kirk is concerned. He, he has messed them up. He has distracted them enough with what's going on that he can hopefully go back in and fix it. Yeah, you know? I don't, I, don't so, I, I didn't feel like that was even a thing. I mean, I felt like that no, was, interesting. Yeah. I felt like that was going to happen no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that I will say, actually, Dila's one weakness in this episode is how quickly. Mm-hmm. So she liked Kirk when Kirk was all, you know, strong willed and, and, you know, sort of resisting her. Mm-hmm. And then Kirk becomes docile and she doesn't like him as much anymore. And at, at that point, she immediately realizes how much she loves Raelle. Oh, right. it turns out the reason I liked you is because you're so much like Rael. That kind of bothered me. That happened a little too fast. I wish yeah. we had seen more yeah. similarities between the two of them. It would have actually been neat for her to have to come to that realization in, yeah. in a way that we could have actually watched. Rael's uh, jealousy really otherwise doesn't seem to play into it at all to me. It's, it's sort of like, sure, that's going to happen because he's in love with her. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, it wasn't used to any effect, it doesn't seem. Um, yeah. except that he actually, I mean, Rael actually grows a tiny bit in this episode. He's, he's like mm. all jealousy and anger. And then she's like, Hey, look, this is just what I have to do. And so then later he's like, you know, when she says the whole thing about, so wait, the transporter's fixed. Why didn't you tell me? Yeah, like, right. I was giving you your space. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, he, he, actually, he, he matures right. uh, in this episode, which is kind of, Kind of weird because he's he's a little more than an extra. There's a lot of that going on here. The you do what you have to do or you did what you had to do. Dila even confronts Kirk with that saying, you would do the same thing to ensure the survival of your species. Kirk says, no, 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 we wouldn't. Um, he doesn't even, he, did, did he even say no, we wouldn't? Well, he, he says, he basically says, you brought this problem on yourself. <laughs> this is, you know, this is your problem. Your your world was destroyed by yeah. your own shortcomings. Um, so the the implication there is, no, we wouldn't. We're we're better than you because we wouldn't take over somebody else or exploit somebody else's uh, 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 power or abilities in order to further our own uh, survival. Um, and, you know, Kirk has been confronted with that idea before, and we kind of talked about that a little bit in By Any Other Name. You know, what are our limits when faced with uh, either a small problem or a very large problem like, oh, I don't know, the extinction of our species? So um, I, I, I think there's maybe a little bit of sympathy to be found for uh, the Scalusian problem. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting, you know. though. I mean, it's, it, it almost feels like, and I think we talked about this either last week or the week before, and I apologize for not remembering. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like Kirk doesn't even make the Kirk speech anymore mm-hmm. in a way. I mean, because right. in the first season, or you know, maybe even the first half of the second season, Kirk would have tried to reason. He would have tried to explain, well, no, here's why we can't do that, and this is why we wouldn't do this, and you know, all that kind right. of stuff. And now she's like, you do it. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's really kind of it. I mean, and the thing is, I was, I was like, oh, here comes the speech because we know that Kirk would not do that. Yeah. But I mean, we didn't even get the speech this time and we didn't even get, you know, sometimes you'll get a parallel where it's like, oh, wow. So now he is in that situation. Will he do that? It's more like, um, well, he's a boy scout. Yeah. <laughs> 
to use a joke that'll mean something in about 15 years. Oh, it'll pay yeah. off. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm left with a, a, a strange feeling about this at the end because they just, as you said, you know, they, they go back to the planet. We put the cones around the planet and say, okay, nobody get near enough and nobody answer their uh, distress call. Right. Um, because the Dila and the Scalosians seemingly just accept that that's what, that that is what will happen, that there will be no more ships coming by. They are resigned to their fate. They reject the idea of the Federation helping. Mm-hmm. Well, you know? I don't, I, I don't feel like they rejected the idea of the Federation helping. I feel like they rejected the possibility that anybody could help them. Mm-hmm. Now, I do wonder why Spock didn't pull Kirk aside and say, you know, I might actually be able to help these people. Like, I really yeah. might be able to help these people. Because yeah. the reason Dila says, no, we can't do that is because they tried it before and people have died, right? Yeah. Trying yeah. to decelerate. Um, Spock is pretty convinced that he's got a way to decelerate. And I, right. I got to say, I love, by the way, it's, it's, it's a fantastic, it's, it's just a momentary thing. But here again, we've sort of got the, uh, the, the, the examination of the characters of Kirk and Spock, especially. Mm-hmm. Spock doesn't know for certain that he's going to be able to slow down. Spock right. is being very cavalier again about the Enterprise. This is another one of those things where he probably should have sent someone else, right. maybe you know, right. solicited volunteers, because Spock is second in command, and he mm-hmm. is going to risk his life to save Kirk. Now, it's cool that he's going to risk his life to save Kirk, but this is very not Vulcan. It's very Spock, but it's very not Vulcan, because right. okay, their captain has winked out of existence for all intents and purposes, right? Mm-hmm. He is working on trying to get the captain back, but how he's going to do that is also wink out of existence. Okay. Yeah. This may shake morale a tiny bit. <laughs> <laughs> Additionally, if he's not able to come back, Scotty is now in command of the Enterprise. And I'm not yeah. saying Scotty's not fine to leave in command while you're, you know, orbiting a planet. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not right. saying that Scotty can't handle himself in some situations. I don't think you want to automatically turn over control of the Enterprise. Well, you don't want to automatically turn over control of the Enterprise to anybody. If you've yeah. got a captain, you want him to be the guy. Now, if he's gone, okay, you want it to be your second in command. Okay, now, if he's suddenly gone too, we may start to have issues. But right. Spock is just like, you know, well, how are we going to get the antidote to Kirk? Well, I'm going to knock this back. And he just does. <laughs> and it really is kind of a neat moment. At the same time, yeah, he's he's really rolling the dice with, with both the Enterprise and its crew. All that yeah, said, though, yeah. he thinks he's got a way to come out of this. Yeah. You, you say Dila, you know, rejected the help of the Enterprise. It's more like Dila is just, you know, they've, they've been looking apparently through all these generations, which in our time may in fact be only six months. Right. But in all of these generations, they've been looking for something and it's, and it's killed the people who've tried it. So now she's just, you know, given up. There's not going to be a way. And there's even a look between Kirk and Spock while she's mm-hmm. saying it can't mm-hmm. happen. And, and, and. For some reason, they seem to have this unspoken, don't tell her Yeah, we yeah. could actually do this. And I don't know. That bothered me. I don't yeah. know why that is, because they're not a particularly dangerous race. The only reason they're dangerous is because they're living accelerated. Right. I mean, that's it. And so if we right. could solve that problem, then they wouldn't be dangerous at all. And we could all go back to the 67 Expo. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but instead, we're going to cordon off this planet. We're going to let these people die. And, uh, and, you know, as soon as they're gone, Spock's like, oh, by the way, drink this. 
and yeah. and you'll be you'll be back to you'll be back to real time in no time. Well, here's the thing. So if Kirk had even proposed or McCoy had proposed that they beam down several gallons of that uh, deceleration formula into their water supply mm-hmm. to, to Spock then say, oh, no, 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 we're violating the prime directive. You can't do that. Well, now that's interesting. Maybe that's why Spock and Kirk didn't offer it. Although, Because I feel like that's, you know, it. it that's as easy a solution as you can get, but maybe it's too easy, you know? Well, I mean, I don't, I, I mm, that's, that's an interesting question. I mean, is, is, does the prime directive require that they let this, what's left of this race die in six weeks though? Right. I, I would hope not. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, well, it's either that or Spock and Kirk are just being jerks. I mean, it's one of the two. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so let's go ahead and say it's the prime directive. Otherwise they're just, they're just, homicidal maniacs with a spaceship since the start of this episode the Skolosians have advanced to the point of inventing dentistry the three camera sitcom shoot and the whoopee cushion they'll be ready for the enterprise in no time Ken, we are careening at accelerating speed toward the end of the episode, but we have to put on the brakes just a moment to give our final wrap-up, our final thoughts on Wink of an Eye. So uh, we'll kick it off as we always do to figure out if the episode holds up. Now, I, I get the feeling that you do not hold this nearly in as high regard as uh, By Any Other Name or some of the other episodes to which we might compare this. Um. I don't feel like there's as much – I mean, I hold it in higher regard in some ways and then less in others. I feel like mm-hmm. – I mean, because we've seen by any other name, mm-hmm. I, I kind of felt like we were watching that again. I don't feel like there's as much of an examination of, of sort of the people and their motivations and things like that. But I could watch uh, Dila all day long. I mean yeah. – th- and, and, and honestly, the, the play between Dila and Kirk before Kirk starts acting like a little – you know. Mary's little lamb. Right. Um is really is fun. I mean there's there's a lot of there's a lot of great interplay there. And I and I know it sounds like I'm just being sort of like a lecherous or boyishy sexy kind of person. Her mm-hmm. outfit's nice, I will say that. Um but it's there's there's a there's a character to yeah. her. She's not just girl of the week. I mean she yeah. she shows up again kind of like um I wish I could remember her name. The woman that uh, the one that Bones uh, fell for and vice oh, versa. Oh, uh, N- Natira. Yeah. Natira. Yeah, kind of like Natira. Yeah. She mm-hmm. shows up with her own motivation. She shows up, shows up with her own way of acting. Uh, she shows up with her own backbone. I mean, yeah. she's really just she's a great character, um, and is and is a lot of fun to watch. Um, no, I don't think this episode is as strong as by any other name. But I mean, she's just fun, and I like the idea. I mean, despite the problem that you have with the, okay, they're intersecting times and how long would that have been and all that stuff. I like the idea of everybody sort of existing on the Enterprise at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like that, the whole hyperspeed idea. I remember that episode of Wild Wild West that you were talking about, by the way. I think I may no, have cool. only seen two. And there was a problem, right, where they were moving so fast that they were actually burning up from the friction. Yes, right. Yeah, same kind of thing right. here, which is, a, which is interesting to hear about that sort of a – yeah, not crossover exactly, but to hear that idea represented. So, I mean, there's a lot that's fun about this episode, but this definitely goes in the. Eh, it's fine. I would say it's a little mm-hmm. bit better than fine because of Dila and because of the interplay between Dila and Kirk. 
but I mean, no, it's not one of the strongest episodes. I mean, it, it's good for season three, especially, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. not, um, no, it's not over the top. What about you? Um, I think I hold it overall in a bit higher regard than you do. Um, even though I picked apart that, uh, the plot hole with the whole timeline thing, I, I still found that part of it to be a lot of fun and it really engaged the it, kind of my thought of the, the sense of space and time on the Enterprise. So I, I had fun with that, even though it frustrated me picking it apart. <laughs> but that's cool because that's kind of what you do with science fiction. Wait, is you, I'm sorry. Can we, can we hold on a second? Why do you keep saying that you like it more than I do? Because I don't think I dislike it. Oh, well, I, but you said overall it was sort of like better than some. But I, I would put it up there in maybe not my top ten, but – it's it's nearly up there. I really, think it, it's it's nearly top ten for you. Well, no, 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 no. There's ten that are far better than this. Okay, there are see, fifteen I, that are far better than this. See, I think you and I like it the same amount. You're just trying to make me the maybe. bad guy this week. No. <laughs> <laughs> maybe because <laughs> I found it. I mean, I, honestly, I found it enjoyable. I I was yeah. I was surprised actually. There are some, and again, especially in season three, there are some that we've watched where you know, by the time we get to act three. I'm like, really? We're not at Act Four yet. I mean, there are some that that are like, you know, very almost torturous to watch. Mm-hmm. And and this one, I was surprised each time that I watched it that we were already getting to the end of it. I mean, there's it, yeah. it, it's got good pacing, it's got good acting. It seemed like a good episode to me. I mean, yeah. and and devoid of a lot of these sort of examination stuff that we've done. There's no there's no real huge message here. There's no hidden message here. I don't think. No. Um, but it's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's an enjoyable episode, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we ask, does it hold up? And I think, um, I think it does. It's got the fun sci-fi elements, you know, Dila is what sells it. And mm-hmm. it, and it's, it's a character with nuance. It's a character where you can kind of see the gears turning in her head uh, as she's, going through this bizarre situation. And it's one of those really tough balances that TV tends to not do a very good job at, which is to have kind of the sex appeal and the power and the complexity of character. So we we don't always get that brought together in, in an entertaining, enjoyable way on TV. It tends to play off very high extremes. Um, but we kind of hit on all cylinders here with the character of Dila. So, uh, yeah, as an episode, I mean, I, I think it's quite good. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe, it, you know, maybe we've been kind of stuck in the mire of season three here where we're sort of grasping at anything to be great. Um, but this is one that I enjoyed watching over and over again. And certainly I had no problem watching it again when I'm actually able to watch Star Trek just purely on my own volition again um in terms (laughs) in terms of messages uh yeah i agree with you this is not a strong message episode i think the points to contemplate here are uh what we already brought up in um uh, by another name which is well you know how far do we go when we're trying to save ourselves what are where are the limits we impose upon ourselves that kind of thing but really it's about the character 
experience. That, that's what it's all about. It's about that great interplay and dialogue and kind of the, the fun of the science fiction. There's also that sort of uh, great fantasy fulfillment uh, idea of Spock doing his thing where he's still on the accelerator, just going around fixing things. And you go like, oh, man, if, if I had that, yeah, if I add just a, a drop of that formula that I could use for a day, a couple of days, imagine what I could accomplish. <laughs> you know, yeah, actually, we would be we would be done with mission log in a week. I actually did wonder if you know there's not some secret part of Starfleet that from then on is sort of accelerating and decelerating, accelerating and decelerating. Because remember, they came back with oh, like man, eight vials of that. This. Yeah, they yeah. have this formula now. Oh, although, man. Although I will be honest, I was a little worried that Spock was going to come back 70. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. he was fixing everything on the Enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. And he may have taken his own time to do it right. Well, uh, that brings us to the end then. And uh, Ken, there's always more Star Trek to look forward to. So what do we have to look forward to next week? Look forward to is an interesting term. But next week, we have the empath. Some of the music for the mission log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. To keep up, you have to watch The Empath before next week. I feel for you. See what I did there? And transmission. Now leaving Nerdist.com.